Hello again. Hello. Yeah, I, I don't know what my mum was talking about with saying that it didn't let you do meetings back to back, but there we are. Ah, she's just lying again. Typical. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, well. Right, so we'll carry on then. Welcome back to All Points In Between, the travel podcast that is still deep down a history hole. Joining me again is Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hello. Oh, oh Matt, how time has withered your once youthful face. How has your, <laughs> your week been in this world where we didn't just jump off a chat two minutes ago? Uh, I, I mean, in the time since we last spoke, I have eaten a Kit Kat and read a lot on Wikipedia about what a technical is, and it's equivalent a zamburak as a zamburak what is that what the cataphracts used it's what the specialized form used by the safid timurids and asfarid dynasty basically you put a gun on the back of a camel and sometimes it's a cannon it looks pretty cool a cannon on on a on actually on the camel or on the camel cart on the back of a camel I'd still say that's not technical if it's on if it's on a living animal. I'd say oh, I I'd mean, say you're just arming the camels. Yeah, no. The, the, Wikipedia makes a very clear distinction that, that, as far as they're concerned, technicals didn't exist until uh, the First World War around that time. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, I, yeah, I think that we've beaten them to it with this uprising. Yeah. Like we were saying, so we left our heroes last week in Littleport in Cambridgeshire and they were doing a bit of an uprising I would recommend listening to part one so that you can follow what it is that we're talking about but essentially you have quite a lot of downtrodden fairly drunk farmers they've just risen up against the landowners in their town and got a massive gun called a punt gun which is a several meter long mini cannon essentially and bolted it onto the back of a horse and cart to go marching to the nearby main city of Ely to press their demands there so that's where we are and the preparations for all of this they were finished around the early hours of the morning and at this point the rioters set off to Ely marching behind their technical they arrived in Ely at about four o'clock in the morning and they were met there by some of the principal inhabitants of the town. It, this included one of the magistrates who was Reverend William Metcalf. The rioters gathered in the main market square and a delegation of them was invited into the White Hart Inn to discuss their demands. I also think it's just quite funny how much of all of these events, like we've talked about obviously the the initial uprising in Little Port, the uprising in Downham Market a few days earlier. And they all seem to centre around pubs. So it's, British. It is that is a very English kind of energy, I think, in all of this. And when the rioters they get to this other pub and they're talking to the magistrates, and initially their demands are met. Although there was one which was one of the demands, which was immunity from prosecution for the rioters. And that did cause some disagreement among the magistrates. Technically, 
the magistrates didn't have the power to grant this immunity to the rioters. And in the end, it was included in the agreement, but on the condition that the rioters dispersed immediately. So our old friend, Reverend Vatchel, who was the magistrate for Little Part that we talked about in the last episode, by this time, he has made his way to Ely after being thrown out of his house. And he later wrote that the agreement led to around three quarters of the rioters packing up and returning to Little Part, where they spent the day celebrating and spending most of the money that they'd looted in the local pubs. However, the quarter or so that remained in Ely, they continued looting there, and they were joined by residents of Ely, and some of the rioters who'd been at Downham Market also came down to Ely and decided to join in. And again, the demands were made against wealthy residents of the city and shop owners, and the money that got stolen during this next stage of rioting. It ended up getting divided equally between the people of Little Park, Ely, and Downham Market, the different contingents of the crowd, so that they could all go home and get hammered. I think it's times like this that really you just start to take the win. The people who carried on rioting, they were pushing the luck by this stage. And it's at this time that the attitude of the local governors it started to move from conciliation with the uprising to repression of it. Riders were sent out to surrounding towns requesting troops to help put down the unrest. A small detachment of Royal Dragoons arrived in the city around mid-afternoon and several arrests were made. That night, reports say that Ely was tolerably quiet, is the quote that gets used. However, the unrest and revelry did continue in Little Port and in Downham Market. On the Friday morning, a larger group of about 42 cavalrymen arrived in Ely and prepared to march on Little Port to restore control there. They were joined by the dragoons from the day before and also some other local militias. The combined force arrived in Little Port and surrounded the George pub where many of the ringleaders were holed up. Again, far more English energy <laughs> with all these pubs. <laughs> so they have the pubs surrounded. There was some gunfire exchanged between the rioters who were in the pub and the troops outside. As part of this, one soldier who was named Wallace was shot in the arm by, and there was also another rioter called Thomas Sindel who was killed. The soldier, Wallace, he later had to have his arm amputated and he later had to have his arm amputated and thereafter he received a life pension of £5 a year, which was taken out of the Little Park Poor Relief Funds. Eventually, the labourers abandoned the pub and they were chased down by the soldiers. 56 of them were arrested on the Friday and another 42 were caught on the Saturday. I mentioned in the first episode, my main source for this is a master's dissertation, which I'll also include a link to in, in the show notes for this. It's written by a guy called Flatman, whose first name was in my script, but I am not scrolling back up to find it. Anyway, Flatman wrote that, quote, 
The reasons for such a swift and brutal suppression of the disturbances by the local magistrates with military assistance and support from central government probably rested primarily on the need to set an example that would act as a major deterrent for any similar insurrection in the region and in other areas of the country. And with that, the little port uprising stroke riot was over. I will quickly run through the fates of some of the main participants. 23 men and one woman were sentenced to death, but 18 of those, including the one woman, Sarah Hobbs, did later have their sentences commuted. Nine of them were sent to Australia on transportation, and the rest ended up serving their sentences in England. On Friday the 28th of June, so just about a month or so after the riots, five men, William Demis, George Crow, John Dennis, Isaac Harley and Thomas South, were taken to Parnell Pits near the town of Ely and were hanged. Unlike many hanged criminals, they were allowed to be buried in the church grounds and they are still in St Mary's Church in Ely, along with a plaque which concludes, May their awful fate be a warning to others. That is the story of the Little Port riot or uprising. And I'm going to come back to you now, Matt, and just ask, what is it that we're calling this then? Is this the Little Port, is this episode going to be called the Little Port Riot or the Little Port Uprising? That's a good question, Martin. I think there's a few things that lead me to think that there was a wider purpose to what they were doing. Um, the fact that they had demands is one thing. There was obviously some sort of political motive behind it. Um, and secondarily, the demands themselves were kind of serious. You know, you don't really ask for cheaper flour unless you're kind of struggling. So that element makes me think that they really did. It really was a sort of a... But the, the only thing that... I'm not really sure about is with an uprising to me, it always feels like you're trying to take over from the existing government. And I don't think that that's necessarily what they were trying to do. I think they were really just trying to improve their um, situation a bit. And, you know, once they got what they wanted, most of them just went back home and were happy sort of thing. So I'm not sure if evil words the best, but I, I suppose I'd be a little bit more inclined towards an uprising. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we can always find a different word for it. The little pork kerfuffle. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, what it seems most like to me, it's it's a trade dispute. You know, it's it's a it's a. I mean, it, it, with the trade union disputes in America, they had machine guns, they had bombing, all sorts of you know, really quite violent actions. Oh, so yeah, I'm wondering if Blair it, Mountain. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm wondering if it doesn't just fit into that overall, you know, whatever we're calling those sorts of just disputes. Um, and um yeah it's it's an interesting one it's an interesting one yeah yeah and i i think it needs to be seen in that wider context of labor relations at the time yeah so a few years after these riots there was a famous protest that took place in st peter's fields in manchester where the army again just stormed the protest, murdered a lot of people, and it became known as the Peterloo Massacre. And it's quite a, it's still quite a major flashpoint in, certainly in Manchester's city history. 
but I think a bit more widely across the UK as well, just because it was indicative of events that were happening in the country as as we were industrialising. And in another event that I think also kind of links in, it's a little bit more polite than the Little Part Uprising, but in 1833, some farm workers at Tolpuddle in Devon ended up getting transported to Australia for attempting to form a trade union. And so I think it does need to be seen in that wide context. And certainly the reason that we have weekends and don't have to spend 16 hours a day, six days a week working for almost nothing is because of people like this. It is people who stood up against powerful people, perhaps aided with a bit of alcohol to strengthen the nerves, and make these demands. Yeah, I mean, what, what I always find interesting is the idea that the, the welfare state was first proposed by Otto von Bismarck, who was not a socialist by any stretch. I mean, he was an anti-socialist, um, but he could see that there was this was a way to actually satisfy the demands of the people that were actually asking for these things. And to me, it just seems like a case of, you know, if you, if you can look after people, then, you know, you could avoid these sorts of situations from developing. And if you don't, then it's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a inevitability. So I think it's, I think I, I do find it interesting that, you know, it, it normally it's been seen as a way of, um preventing this sorts of things is to actually just you know give the people i mean the same thing in the uk we, when we you know we had pretty good social systems and i think that's one of the reasons we've managed to avoid a lot of even more severe revolutions other countries had yeah oh i, I don't know i think we're getting there <laughs> these days <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens in the next in the, in the next years <laughs> yeah yeah and obviously in in this case it didn't really go well for the Little Park rioters in the end. They did initially get the demands, but ended up getting crushed. And I think certainly us on the left, we we do get used to losing about 95% of the time. But ultimately, these actions do still need to be taken because every now and again, yeah, you do, you do get a win. Positive change comes from it. And like you say, even if it is just a compromise to avoid getting dragged through the streets by your proms it's yeah a win's a win anyway that is pretty much all i had for this i think with yeah with that discussion there i'm i'm actually quite tempted to just call this the little pork fuffle now as an episode title but i think it's the best way to go <laughs> yeah It'll, well, it'll certainly hammer our search engine optimization, to call it that. <laughs> no, Nobody will find it. Mm. Um, yeah, and also with it being a fairly small local event uh, that certainly I didn't know anything about, I can imagine that, yeah, there won't be a lot of people finding it, if I call it that, but oh well. I, 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 I mean, like you say, you could... It, it, I, I guess what we're really saying here is how important it is the way you phrase a conflict as to how it's viewed. Um, you know, I, I was just recently learning about the Malay emergency, 
And the fact that it was called an emergency rather than a civil war, rather than a communist revolution, was key to the way that people perceive it now. And most people have barely even heard of it as an actual conflict. Yeah. Well, that that was an insurance job, wasn't it? Um, yes. I, I thought it was that companies, well, companies wouldn't get insurance payouts if it was actually a war. And so yep. the government That's called true. it an emergency. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, it, it, it was a way of getting them the, the compensation. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting, the, the power of words. And then we talk about Peterloo, you know, the Peterloo massacre. You know, once you call it that, all of a sudden it goes from, you know, if they'd called it the Peterloo riot or they'd called it the, you know, the Peterloo demonstrations, then people would have, thought, oh, yeah, well, no one died there. Probably it was probably not that much of a big deal. But by calling it the massacre, you all of a sudden you know, injected with a, a completely different meaning. So it, it is really important how you name these things. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I mean, every, everywhere, I've, I've had a quick look around, everywhere I can see they're calling it a riot. And I, and I think you're right. Yeah. I think there's more to it than just, just a riot. It was, more, it, was, uh, it was more firmly rooted than that. Yeah. Yeah, but like we say, history does tend to get written by the winners, which in this in this case was <laughs> comprehensively not the people of Little Port. Indeed. Unfortunately. It is a very interesting story though, and it's not one that I would have come across. This is kind of where I link it back into a travel show. It's not something that I'd come across if I wasn't out that way um, visiting. And in fact, I was there in the summer and I decided to retrace the steps of the rioters and walked from Little Port to Ely. I wasn't able to get my hands on a punt gun and bolt it to the back of Abbey, unfortunately. <laughs> but but it, is, it, it is well worth a visit if you're in that neck of the woods, particularly because Cambridge can be a bit overwhelming and very over-touristed. And you just head a few miles out of town up to Ely and up to Little Port. And there's some lovely landscape up there. And like you say, you find out about these interesting stories that give you ideas for podcast episodes. So with that, I think we will finish. This episode is perhaps a little on the short side because I did not think about where I was going to do our break in, in between these two episodes. But, oh well, we'll be back soon with a longer episode, which may actually be about travelling next time, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. <laughs> I think you should just give up and make a history and food podcast, but there we go. <laughs> I, I think there are more history and food episodes than there are travel episodes at this point. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's it mostly it, my fault. <laughs> yeah, so it, it all fits into the wider piece, I think, because, yeah, it's certainly the things that I find most interesting when I travel are those kind of stories. Mm-hmm. But if you do want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at allpointscast, or you can email us at allpointspod at gmail.com. And if you want to talk to Matt, then load your question into a punt gun, bolt it onto the back of the horse and cart, and go and invade Hampshire, and he'll get the point. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.